Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill, who last week you said you didn't believe that Ryan Day was the biggest celebrity in Columbus. You said you were going to do your research. So have you determined whether Ryan Day is or is not the biggest celebrity in Columbus as he feverishly types on his keyboard? I just Googled biggest celebrity in Columbus. Um, so <laughs> I guess that means the answer is I forgot to do my research. And I'm just going to have to take an F on this homework and go back, learn from it, and you know, just become a better person, Dan. Colin not doing his research. That, that could be a problem. That is that is that is a fair that's a fair point, Dan. Well, we can explain that one a little bit later, but uh, we do want to talk about uh, the latest developments from fall camp at Ohio State because uh, we were just at practice on Tuesday morning, and you made the comment to me, and I agree with it. But I thought that was other than you know a first practice where we hadn't seen anything yet. I thought that was probably the most interesting practice I've ever been to on the beat because first and foremost there was a very interesting development that had been rumored i i know buckeye scoop had, had reported something on this over a weekend and i'm not gonna lie i was skeptical when i first saw it because it seemed so outlandish but confirmed it with our own eyes on tuesday that ohio state is at least experimenting and based on the conversations with greg stadrall and offensive lineman after I think is very seriously considering using an offensive line this season that would consist of Nicholas Petit Frere moving to left tackle, Thayer Munford moving to left guard, Harry Miller at center, Paris Johnson at right guard, and Dewan Jones at right tackle. Like, what's your initial reaction? to seeing that offensive line out there as a first-team unit. Well, I think we have to go back to why nobody projected that this would be the case, that this would happen. And, like, the number one reason is that why would you move these tackles away from offensive tackle? Um, and, and Greg Sodrawa had made the point back in the spring that, especially if you're going to deal with a first-year quarterback, it's good to have these kind of guys um, protecting the, the right and left side of, of a quarterback. And it makes so much sense that none of us ever questioned whether they might go away from it. Um, so I think that's where I start, is I am shocked that they're doing this. And also, like, we can get into what Thayer Munford and Greg Sodrawa actually said about this, but from before today, before I actually saw it happen, before the interviews of all the offensive linemen happened after practice, I assumed that it wasn't going to happen also because Thayer Munford has started three years at left tackle. Why would he then move to guard? And so all of this is going through my mind, and that's why like this one really did, to me, come out of nowhere. Right. This one, I'm with you. Like I had to see it to believe it because you just don't typically see that. Where, And, and when we're talking about Fayer Munford, like, we're not just talking about somebody like, oh, just the fact that he's been the left tackle. Like We're talking about a guy who was one of the best left tackles in college football last year, who some people were projecting to be the best left tackle in college football this year. And now he might not even play that position. And when you think about how important that position is for pass protection, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback, the idea of moving him to guard, which traditionally, you know, every position on the line is important. And we'll ultimately get back to that because that's ultimately why they're looking at doing this. But typically you think of those tackles being uh, the most important positions on that line. You think to that second game of the year against Oregon, when Ohio State is going to play against Kayvon Thibodeau, who most people consider to be the best pass rusher in college football. You really think those offensive tackles are going to be important. And now, you know, they're looking at going with where you really felt like you had two sure things with Munford at left tackle and Petit Frere at right tackle. And basically what Greg Stadrawa said on Tuesday morning was that the reason they're going to go away from that, or they're at least thinking about going away from that, is because Dewan Jones has been so impressive in preseason camp that he is clearly very confident in what Dewan Jones can be as an offensive tackle this year. And he's so confident that he's willing to move Thayer Munford, who I think is one of the best offensive tackles in college football, to guard to open up a spot for DeWan Jones. Yeah, and it comes down down to this, like this move, um, which I think we can take a step back and say, like, yes, they're experimenting, but it's August 10th, 
And you're not going to experiment with something on August 10th unless you think that this is a real a real thing that you could trot out there in week one. And I think that it should be treated as such. And I think you know it should probably be treated as the front runner for what the line will probably look like. And you're only going to do that if you feel like Dewan Jones is great. And like I think that this is that that's what this comes down to when when Greg Sadrawa talks um, is they just think Dewan Jones is great and they're going to figure out one way or another to get him in the lineup and. Because Dewan Jones is 6'8", 360, you're not going to put him at guard. And the only way to not put him at guard is to move one of your great offensive tackles to guard. And you just so happen to have Thayer Munford willing and apparently able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of the experimenting that, you know, I don't think it's set in stone yet, but I certainly think this is the direction they're trending. I don't think this is just something they're just throwing out there because, you know, we know based on you know the reports that were out there, this is something they've been doing now. This is, it wasn't just they did this today. Like they've been doing this for at least a few days now. I mean, I saw a photo on Instagram on Monday of Petit Frere lining up at left tackle. So this is something they've been doing for at least a few practices now, and they wouldn't be doing that this close to the season if it wasn't something they thought they were going to do. So I think this is going to be the offensive line, unless you know either for one, if injuries happen, that can shake things up, or two, if you know they see things over the next couple of weeks that make them think this isn't the best option. But I think this is the direction they're trending. And, you know, my, my initial reaction was like, man, I, I really don't know about this. Like, you, like you're moving a, a guy in Thayer Munford, who I think is such a great offensive tackle, and to move him away from tackle, like, to me, that's a, a questionable decision. But, you know, they, they've talked a lot about putting the best five out there. And I think this shows that they really are embracing that. Like, there's a lot of things the coaches say that they don't really mean, that they're just saying it to to create this guise that everything's open for competition. But this shows that they're actually serious about that, 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 that if these are the best five guys, because we already knew, you know, as, as we've been talking about this all offseason, I mean, we obviously knew Munford and Petit Frere were in the best five. We've assumed that Paris Johnson and Harry Miller were in the best five. That fifth spot has always been the question. And, you know, we've gone, we've had all different kinds of ideas about that was going to be a week ago. It looked like it might be Josh Fryer. During going into spring, I think we thought it was going to be Matthew Jones. Coming out of spring, I thought it was going to be Luke Whipler. And now it looks like it's Dewan Jones. And that's where it really comes back to, like, I, I, the thing that I really appreciate it with Greg Sadrawa interviews is the guy is just so honest. And he clearly doesn't really like doing interviews, which is why he doesn't do them very often. He's, he's not somebody who that, – that's not a favorite part of the job for him. But that guy, like, one, it's just fun to hear him talk because he just he's just – all offensive line coaches are different than other coaches. And his voice is always raspy. Yes, and, and I can I can appreciate that. Um, he just sounded like he was just got done. Every single time he talks, sounds like he just got done just yelling at people for an hour and a half, yeah. which, by the way, is exactly what he did. Oh, yeah. Um, he was effusive in his praise of Dewan Jones. Like, he called him a dominant pass blocker. He said, and I quote, when he sets in pass pro, believe me, there's nobody going around him and they're not going through him. And you asked, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is waiting in week two. Like, does that is does that worry you at all? And he said, no. Like, it doesn't get any more clear that he thinks Dewan Jones is great right now. And that's where it is. Like, if you think he's great right now, play him. And I and I totally understand that. He just has to be right. Like, that's the, that's the thing. This is a gigantic decision. And I don't think we can overstate that because they start with Minnesota, because they start with Oregon. Right. It is a huge decision, but they are going all in on, on Dewan Jones. And, you know, I, I can appreciate them taking this risk. It, for their sake, though, it had better work out. Right. It's just like we talked about quarterbacks. Like, you have to make the right decision here going into the start of the season. Things could certainly change as the year progress, but you don't go in and have a couple games to work through the kinks here and see if this works. I mean, especially that Oregon game, that might be the best defense you face in the entire regular season. So you, you've got to uh, make the right choices going into that game. You do, and and I think that, you know, I this wasn't on my radar before just the, the past couple of days, but... It is a gigantic offensive line, and it's just filled with talent. I mean, that's the thing. From up and down, it's like, 
You've got Dewan Jones, who is the biggest human being I've maybe ever seen. You have Paris Johnson, the five-star ultra talent. You have Nick Petit Frere, who's in the Dalton the same, and also is uh, you know I think is going to be one of the best offensive tackles in college football. You have Thayer Munford, four-year starter, and Harry Miller who had a bad first season as a starter, but I think people are very confident in, in his growth, and he was also a five-star coming out. Like there is an obscene amount of talent um, in these front five, and, and also to be quite honest, like. In the backups as well. Like, Greg Sidraw has gotten a lot of crap over the years. But for the past three years, we look at the lines and be like, I don't know how the, how you can build these any better than they are right now. Like, that's that's sort of where I'm at right now, even with the question marks of, you know, is this exactly the right five or, or not? Yeah, for all the crap he's gotten about offensive tackle recruiting, if it really is the case that Nicholas Petitfair, Fair Munford, and Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are all so good that they have to be on the field— and that's a damn good offensive tackle depth chart he's got there because I would certainly anticipate that even with these moves, if you were to have an injury, that you're going to probably move either Thayer or Paris out to tackle. And then you've got Josh Fryer, Matthew Jones, or, or Luke Whipler, or Donovan Jackson, or Enoch Vamahi waiting in the wings. And I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I think that, I think that too deep is loaded with talent. I, I think that two deep is in a really good place right now. And I, I think the ceiling of this starting unit, if it's going to be the way they, they it looks like it's going to be, it's, I mean, it's literally massive. I mean, when you look at the size of the offensive line across the board, I mean, you've got 6'5", 315, 6'6", 320, 6'4", 315, 6'6", 315, 6'8", 360. I mean, this offensive line should absolutely maul people. I mean, they, they are huge. Uh, I mean, especially if you look at guys like Munford and DeWand and Paris, those are some powerful guys. I mean, this should be a... a very powerful mauling offensive line in the run game. And then if DeWand is, is what they're saying he is in the pass game, it could be a fantastic pass protecting line too, especially with putting guys like Thayer and Paris who have those offensive tackle pedigrees at guard. So I think the upside of this offensive line is massive. I do think though that, you know, the floor is a little bit questionable because, I mean, you're talking about an offensive line, but if they go with this, you are going to have zero guys who are starting in the positions they started in last year because you're moving Harry to center, you're you're moving uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere from right to left, and you're moving Munford inside the guard. So there's a lot of unknowns with this offensive line. I personally, after today, after hearing them talk about it, I'm on board with it. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think the upside of this group is enormous, but there's still some major unknowns about this group that we're going to have going into that season opener. Yeah, I mean, it it really does all come down to, like, is Dewan Jones a stud or not? Like, they talk about him as if he is. And if he is, this was the correct move. If not, you know, I think it's fair to second-guess it. Now, my take is that, like the re- part of the reason I I have bought into it fairly quickly is that you don't make this move unless you actually truly do think Dewan Jones is great because it's not like you have bad options otherwise. Like I think Matthew Jones was really good at the end of last season. It was pretty clear that they really like Luke Whippler and they also really like Josh Fryer. Um, and it seemed like they would be perfectly fine going with them. But this sort of goes back to even like parts of the Quinn Ewers discussion, which is if you think you have fine, but you can get great, take the risk because you're Ohio State and you're chasing a national championship. Right. And I think like the skeptics perspective on this would be like, oh, they're so worried about the left guard. Like they're worried about left guard. That's why they're moving Thayer Munford inside. But I agree with you. I, I don't think that's the reason why they're doing this. I think the reason why they're doing this is because they, they really believe in Dewan Jones's potential. And I mean, you know, I, I think Thayer Munford will, probably be an All-American at left guard. Like, I, I I don't really have any concerns about moving Thayer inside because I think, you know, you look at the way he plays the game, I think he should be a natural fit at guard. That may be where he ultimately plays in the NFL. And so I, I think Thayer Munford will do great at left guard. I have no concerns about that. You know, I think Petit Frere moving from right to left, he said it is an adjustment, but I don't, I'm not really worried about him being able to make that adjustment. You know, it really does just come down to DeWine. Like I said, I mean, 
there are not many people on the planet who have the physical attributes that Dewan Jones does. So if he can put it all together the way it sounds like he he finally is, uh, the sky's the limit for him. So we, t- we saw a little bit of the offensive line. We talked to them as well. Anything else from offensive line day that, that you feel like we should hit on? Well, I just feel like my takeaway is that you kicked my butt in the draft even more than I realized because – I thought, you know, your your strategy of drafting the offensive tackles, I mean, it was. It was just to take the offensive tackles away from me. But as it turned out, it, it looks like you landed four of the five starting offensive linemen. The only one that I landed was, was Harry Miller with you going with Matthew Jones. But I, I think, you know, I, like I said, I think the fact that we're, we're talking up all these guys means that you know, there's a lot of good players on both those lines, but I think it's pretty clear uh, that if four of those five guys are starting, that uh, you won in terms of drafting offensive linemen. So I, I like my little fantasy draft uh, strategy still. Another take I'll have, though, is, you know, it does seem like, you know, I, I think people are reasonably wondering in a post Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson, Thayer Munford, Nick Petit, Frere World, who, these, who the next tackles are. Like, it feels like Ohio State is getting Enoch Mahi and Josh Fryer ready to play tackle if needed. Um, and those guys are clearly guys that Ohio State is, um, that they like right now. Um, and also part of the reason they can do that is, you know, they might project that in a year or two they might have a hole at tackle. And Donovan Jackson is clearly going to be in the mix to start next season, if not, you know, sometime this year if there happen to be injury problems. Like, the fact that Donovan Jackson's already so clearly with the second team uh, speaks to exactly what we thought he was, which is he's going to walk in here and be an impact player quickly. Yeah, I mean, we saw Paris Johnson this year. Exactly. We saw Harry Miller last year. He's on that five-star track where he's most likely going to be a second-year starter. So, you know, I think moving moving Thayer in, inside there, you know, you look at Paris also being a candidate uh, to move out outside next year if Nicholas Petit-Frere goes pro. They're absolutely uh, making the path right there for uh, Donovan Jackson to go right into a starting job next year. So you mentioned off the top that there were a lot of things from this practice that were interesting. Um, We've made it decently far into the show without mentioning quarterbacks, despite the fact that we saw them pass. Uh, I'll say this. like I think a lot of times when Ohio State reporters talk about what they've seen from the quarterbacks in practice, they're talking out of their ass. Like, I'll be completely honest, like, I, a lot of times that's my perspective because we just don't, like, we're generally 150 yards away from them. They're generally passing on air. It's pretty hard to get a read on them sometimes. And then I'll come away and I'll hear people on, like, write or, or do podcasts and it's like, what are they watching? Like, do they have the all 22 of this film? Like, I missed out on this. Uh, today, though, I got quarterback takes, Dan. Like, this is real. Let's hear them. This is real. Um... So we saw them throw deep balls, and maybe more importantly, we saw them do one-on-one drills. And I think like my general takeaway first off the bat is there's a, there's a separation, and the separation is between C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord and Jack Miller. Um, and I do think that it's understandable when we saw the quarterbacks today, like C.J. Stroud was still taking the first routes, and then it was Kyle McCord, and then it was Jack Miller. And to me, like I think that that's, you're, you're a week into camp, it makes sense to make that decision because Kyle McCord right now, like I saw, I saw what some other people have been talking about. Like that guy can throw it. That guy can throw it with the best of them. That said, I think CJ Stroud can too. And and I my sort my takeaway from today was Ohio State's in a good spot right now. I mean, they have those two guys who look like they've got those first round type of arms, and then Quinn Ewers in a week or two is going to be on campus, and it's like a couple days, I think. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it is. It is going to be an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position for Ohio State. And this is one of those situations, like more so than ever, like I just feel like they can't go wrong. I mean, can I, I'll just take 30 more seconds and say the pass that I saw from CJ Stroud to Jackson Smith and Jay Butler. I saw your face. You're just like, your eyes lit up. Dan, you saw that. So I, I was taking video of that on my iPhone from 75 yards away. And Dan, I didn't even know he was behind me. But I, I, I saw I saw CJ Stroud go back and throw. I don't remember if it was a back shoulder fade or something, but it was just I don't think it was a back shoulder, but it was down it was down the sideline and it was just 
on the on the fingertips of Jackson Smith and Jigba, who reeled it in, and it was perfect. I mean, Lathan Ransom had good coverage, but it's just one of those throws and, and catches that you cannot beat if you're the defense. And I turned around to whoever was there. It happened to be you, and my eyes were just wide open, and my mouth was a, what in the world was that? I mean, Ohio State's in Ohio State's are going to be fine. And that's exactly what Ryan Day wants to see because that's what Ryan Day coaches. He coaches them to throw that ball high, to throw it in front of a receiver to where only his receiver can make a play. And that's exactly the kind of throw that Ryan Day wants to see C.J. Stroud make on a, on a deep ball like that. So I completely agree with everything you just said. I mean, I think, you know, Ryan Day on Monday was asked about the quarterback, and he said that he thinks by the end of this week he's going to have a really good feel for who the quarterback is. That tells you that he already has a really good feel for who the quarterback is. Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't come out and say that if there wasn't... He can, he can say there's no front runner right now. He's going to save it until he's ready to name a starter. But in his mind, I absolutely believe there's a front runner. And I believe that front runner is C.J. Stroud. I don't, I don't know that Kyle McCord is out of it yet. I... I do think Jack Miller's probably out of it. I mean, I, I just think that... I think he's definitely out of it. I think, I think it's, it is clear, like, today was a day where you could see it. That when you look at their arms, you look at their ability to throw the ball down the field, Stroud and McCord are just at a different level than Jack Miller. They, they, they just are. They, 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 just, they just have a different level to them. And there's absolutely a reason why McCord was ahead of Miller today. And that's, that's because McCord is a stronger candidate to... Compete for this job right now than Jack Miller, and so you know I I think that's exactly how it stacks up. I mean I think I think it, I, at this point my read on it is it's Stroud's job to lose. If Stroud goes out, he said today Wednesday is going to be a big practice, and he said Saturday Winbear going to scrimmage is going to be a big practice. I think if Stroud does what he needs to do the rest of a week in practice and looks like the starting quarterback they think he is, he's going to be the starter. I think. If if he struggles, he could open the door for Kyle McCord with a really good week of practice to, to keep that competition going for another week. But I, I think that's where we're at right now. And I think most likely, if Stroud keeps doing the things he's doing, he's going to be the starter. Kyle McCord's going to be the number two guy. Jack Miller's probably going to be the number three guy because Quinn Ewers hasn't started practicing yet. So I think, I think that's where it stacks up, how things might play out over the course of a season. We'll see, but you know, I think C.J. Stroud's certainly in that pole position, and I think Kyle McCord is the guy that's, that's still trying to keep that competition going. Yeah, we'll see how it actually shakes out once they get on the field against Minnesota and Oregon and see exactly how they look. But be honest, like today was the most I felt like I've seen from the quarterbacks in practice, and I came away with all positives, which if you're an Ohio State fan is probably a good thing. I think if, if there's a negative right now that I'm feeling just coming through a week of, of camp, to me, I've still got some pretty big questions about this secondary because Seven Banks has been out for the last few practices after Ryan Day, quote, on Monday, tweaked something. You know, Cam Brown, it looks like they're still easing him back in. Uh, you know, I think there were a couple other guys too. You know, Ryan Watts, Marcus Williamson. It looked like at least while we were out there, like maybe they weren't taking as many reps as some of the other guys. So it seems like there's some guys ding, dinged up back there, and I just I still have questions about that group. I I just don't know. Like I feel about every pretty much everything else. I feel pretty confident. Like I feel like whoever quarterback is is gonna do, is gonna do really well. I feel like. The offensive line has, has got tons of potential. Obviously, you know, I think the receivers are loaded. I, I'm very confident in the defensive line. I mean, you hear what Ryan Day says about JT Tuimolowal. I think he's a guy that's it's putting himself in that position to make that immediate impact you want to see. Linebackers, I, I still have some questions, but, like, I still fe- I feel like they're going to be all right at linebacker. I just don't know about that secondary right now. I mean, I, I, I think they should be better than last year, but are they going to be a great secondary? Are they going to be a secondary that's good enough for Ohio State to win a national championship? I just don't know. And part of this is, like, I think I'm just, and I think you probably are too, I think just coming to the realization that the defensive line has to be, like, elite, elite. Like, great, great, great. And the offense, which I think it can be, has to be awesome and has to power this team. Um, I agree. Because I, 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 you know, I have my questions about the linebackers. 
But you're right. There's 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 part of me in the secondary where it's like we spent time in like February and March saying, well, they have to be better because they have more options. And we're sitting here today in the middle of August saying they might just play Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, and Josh Proctor. And also Seven Banks has been banged up a little bit. Obviously, Cam Brown, I think, has looked pretty good in practices, but he's also coming off an Achilles injury. Um, so you have to be a little bit, you have to be a little bit with a wait and see approach for it with him. And we've heard good things prior about Lathan Ransom. We've heard great things about Court Williams' work ethic, but none of those guys we see in the starting lineup right now. And and yes, it's been one week of camp. Things can change, but I sort of thought that we might see a little bit more new blood than we are right now. Yeah, and I mean, again. We've only seen portions of free practices. We haven't seen, you know, full practices. We haven't seen full team periods, anything like that. So we're just going off a very small sample size. Maybe the secondary is looking fantastic when we're not out there. I just, I mean, even talking to Kerry Combs, like, you know, he was talking about, like, he was asked about, like, the confidence he has in the depth. And then he's like, yeah, but we're we're dinged up right now. Like we got to get healthy. And like I heard that, and I'm like, ah, like it, it kind of feels like there's still some uncertainty back there. So you know, we'll we'll see. I I just I just don't know. I'm not you know I I, I do think they're going to be better than last year, just because last year they were really bad. But I just I, I just feel like there's still a lot of uncertainty back there, and and I I, I just I just question how how things are going to look in those first few games. We haven't talked about Demario yet, though. I mean, maybe he's the answer, Dan. Maybe. I mean, I, I was impressed by, you know, his interview, his, his approach. I have no idea what his role is going to be this year. I would, you know, I'm certainly not going to bet on him playing a major role at a position that he's never played before as a six-year senior. But I respect his approach to a guy that I think, you know, you and I thought— he should have just transferred to a Mac school and, and, and go go play a lot somewhere. And instead, he decided, I want to stay the course here at Ohio State. I don't want to leave this brotherhood, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try playing corner because I, I believe I can do it. And we will see how well he can actually do it during the season. But, you know, I, I respect his approach. I, I respect his commitment to it because he could have just given up or he could have— you know, he could have left. He could have said, screw this, because, you know, I mean, he's a guy that, like, you know, I think you could argue, like, has not really gotten a fair shake in terms of the fact that he's been moved from one position to another throughout his career, and they haven't really settled on a plan for him. But, you know, he decided that he wanted to do this, and, and I respect it. I respect it. He's also not going to play. So, uh, which is part of how I led my article off, which is, like, you know, it's interesting to see what role he has. I don't think it's as interesting as him giving a, what I thought was a really mature interview, an open interview about why he's here and why he's still at Ohio State for his sixth season. Um, if he plays, I'd love to be wrong because Demario McCall as number one cornerback sounds like an absolute joy, <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. Any other, you know, takeaways that are really standing out in your mind right now about the defensive backs, um, or in general? Well, I was going to say, like, I wish I had more takeaways about defensive backs. Like, I wish that, but but I, but really, like, I wish there was more talk about Lathan Ransom. I wish that there was more talk about Court Williams and what his actual role would be, other than he's a great worker, which is awesome, but, like, I still haven't figured out exactly how he's going to factor into this year's defense. Like, there are just guys who I'm just like, all right, what are we waiting for here? Like, what what's next? And I also do wonder, you know, one of those guys, I think, is Ryan Watts. And I wonder if there's any type of cornerback rotation. I think that that's something that we haven't really figured out yet is, you know, we, we certainly know as long as Seven Banks is healthy, he'll be a starting cornerback. And as long as Cam Brown's healthy, he'll be a starting cornerback. But is there another guy who's going to be rotating in there? How does he? How does Gary Combs feel about the others? That I don't think we quite know yet. Yeah, I mean, to me, just like the back seven in general is by far the biggest mystery. And, and that's the way they want it. I mean, that's the way they want it. They, they don't want us to know what the back seven is going to look like because they don't want Minnesota and Oregon to know what the back seven is going to look like. So to me, like that's the biggest mystery of this team right now. Like, 
you know, maybe they'll really surprise us and maybe they'll be really good. But it's just a mystery because I still, like you said, I mean, we know Seven Banks is going to start. Like, we know Josh Proctor is going to start. Like, I think we know Taraja Mitchell is going to start at linebacker. But there's still a lot of questions. Like, how much are they actually going to use the bullet? How much are they going to rotate guys at those defensive back positions? How much are they going to rotate at middle linebacker? I think those are all questions that we still have. Yeah, I mean, Cody Simon, it did not appear at least, you know, I saw him run over toward where the injured players were, and then I didn't see him that the rest of the practice that the media was able to watch. So not 100% sure what his status is. We'll obviously get a chance to see Brad skin on Thursday, and we'll keep and an eye out for him. Linebackers are talking to the media on Thursday too, so yeah. we could also get some more clarity on the linebacker situation later this week. Another note I'll make, just because I saw it and I thought it was interesting um, on – during Tuesday's practice. During tackle drills, which they put on the pads for the first time, so they had their typical tackle drills, Jeremy Ruckert was not in the tackle drills, which I understand because he's a senior. I also thought it was a little funny because it's like, how many times has Jeremy Ruckert actually been tackled? Like, probably like three times ever. <laughs> like, that guy that guy either catches a touchdown or doesn't catch a pass. Um, and he was just over with the quarterbacks, essentially. The three quarterbacks in the red zone, he was... He was their only target down down uh, on the other side of the field from from where the media was. To me, that was just another like, yep, go send the veteran tight end who is going to be your safety blanket and try and get as much chemistry as him as as you can right now. Um, which is just one of those little interesting things that that I happened to catch during practice that made a whole lot of sense to me. And I will say one other thing that caught my eye on Tuesday was seeing Travion Henderson running as the first team kickoff returner because you know that's a position I mean it's been over a decade literally since Ohio State has had a kickoff return touchdown so I think a lot of people would like to see some more flash in that position and to me if there's any guy on the roster who I think has a chance to do that it's Travion Henderson so I love that because I think it makes perfect sense especially if Mayan Williams and Master Teague are leading the way at running back right now I do think Travion's role at running back is probably going to grow over the course of a season. But if you can get him out there at kickoff return right away, I think that's a place. Obviously, the kickoff return rules make it make it more difficult to actually have a lot of big returns these days. But I do think that that is an area where he could potentially make a spark, make a big play that's been missing in that role. I might jinx the hell out of him here. I also think when you're dealing with a young guy like that, one of my questions is, can you actually catch it? And to me, that's less of an issue as a kick returner than it is as a punt Correct. returner. Now he'll probably fumble one and allow a touchdown on that, but that was a reverse jinx right there, so I'm helping everybody out here. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I mean that, that's, that's very true. I think, you know, punt returns, you're probably going to see Garrett Wilson back there or Jackson Smith and Jigba back there because those are guys that they really trust to catch that ball. But I think... Kickoff return, that's an opportunity where where Travion could potentially, you know, even if he just breaks one, I mean, that would be an upgrade of what we've seen for the past decade. So I like it. All right. We got plenty of questions, so we can just Tons roll into questions. those right now. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a guy right now who's our first question from AC Buckeye. How is Jetson Smith and Jigba looking? I know he's in line to start with the, start the slot, but with the star power in the wide receiver room, I feel like he gets a little overlooked. I follow his career since high school, so I may be a little bit biased. To which I'll say, we were writing our stories today on Tuesday in Panera with Bill Landis, and I was just sort of chatting with him, and I just mentioned, hey, I just realized that I haven't even thought about Jetson Smith and Jigba in like three months. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where the wide receivers are so good that we don't even have to think of them anymore, at least the starters. And, of course, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are in that great camp. But, like, mentally, I've almost put Jetson Smith and Jigba in that camp. Um, and maybe that's prematurely, but I think that also speaks to how I think of him, which is, like, that dude's good, good. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with the assessment here, but I think he's getting overlooked in the fact that I don't think he's getting talked about a ton right now, and I think the potential for him to play a huge role on this team and to have a huge year, I think that it's very real. I mean, I think... You know, obviously, you know, you, you project that Olave and Wilson are going to be the top two guys. But if you were to tell me that Jackson Smith and Jigbo would lead this team in catches this year, would I be surprised? I wouldn't. I, I think that position he plays, I think he's going to get a lot of targets there in the slot. 
and, and I think he's going to have a really big year. So I have three Jets. I, I haven't paid a ton of attention to the wide receivers individually, but I have three practice Jets and Smith and Jacob plays in my mind. One is the C.J. Stroud deep ball down the left sideline. I tweeted out that clip. It's the one I talked about earlier. It just made my eyebrows raise. The other is he didn't even get the ball, and I might have even talked about it last week, but he just shook Craig Young out of his shoes. And, you know, it was just an inside. It was just a slant from the slot. It was nothing crazy, but it was like, oh, that guy's a little bit different than that. And then another, <laughs> I wrote down, I don't even know exactly what he what what happened, but I just caught him doing the tackle drill, and I just wrote down, JSN shook the bleep out of a defender to end tackle drill. That was that was in my notes. It didn't really make the practice report because I didn't really know how to write about that, but I do remember that because, like, yeah, I do think he's getting a little overlooked because a lot of times people nationally get their – opinions formed based on what local people are writing and saying and because local people aren't writing and saying a lot about him because we're all just sort of assuming he's going to be good and the other wide receivers are going to be good um i don't think he's getting a ton of hype but i don't think you'll have to wait long for that to change stl buckeye 15 asked any insights on how cam martinez is developing i assume he's only taking reps at db correct correct he is only a defensive back at this point there They've long since abandoned the idea of him playing uh, both sides. Reason why? Because we just talked about it. The receiver room is loaded. They do not need him at receiver. They might need him at DB. Again, I think this kind of goes back to what you were talking about with you know Lathan Ransom and Court Williams. But uh, you know, I, I think it's a mystery at this point. Like we just haven't seen enough for me to get a real good graph. Like we seeing him out there. Like he's looked good in what I've seen in the drills. I just don't have a good grasp on, like, how much is he going to play. Because, like, they've talked him up. They've talked Leif and Ransom up. Yet we've seen Marcus Williamson get a lot of first-team reps at that position. So are they going to rotate three guys there? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, and this is my personal opinion. I think it's a. I think it's pretty difficult for media folks to have opinions on defensive backs in these practice windows because there's so much happening. Like, defensive – like, cornerback is such a technical position – that, I mean, you're evaluating people from 50 yards away. You're not totally sure exactly what their responsibilities are a lot of the times. Like, you don't know what they're being told in the moment. Like, I think defensive back, from our perspective, is really hard to, to get, get a gauge on. And, and, and that's where we fall back on, like, what are they lining up in? Like, who's out there? And when it's the same guys, I'm just sort of led to believe, like, why? <laughs> that's sort of my question. Like, I guess I'm led to believe that they're the best options right now, but... I didn't predict this to be the case, which is why I sort of want to give it another week, and then I'm going to really be like, wait, so we're, they're doing this? They're, they're just rolling it right back? We were asked by I Bleed Scarlet and Gray, what is the latest on Palaia Naoteote? As far as I know, I, I don't really think anything's changed. I think they're still waiting on an answer from the NCAA. I actually, I meant to ask Ryan Day about this on Monday, and then I asked up, ended up asking about something else nobody else asked, but... We haven't, I haven't heard anything regarding his status, so I'm assuming that they are still waiting on an answer there. You know, Ryan Day had indicated last week that they had hoped they'd get an answer this week, so maybe by the end of the week they do. Maybe they don't. If we've learned anything about the NCAA, it's that you can't rely on them to make uh, timely decisions. So don't know. As, as far as I know, they're still waiting on an answer uh, in terms of eligibility there, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly uh, check on that before next week's episode. You asked about... What's the latest on PG? And I was like, he wants a Mishi Johnson update? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> no, all football questions this week. Bucks15 asked, where does Court Williams fit in the secondary plans this year, and is he fully healthy? Oh, Again, I, I wish I knew. Of, like, I wish I knew. Kind of the same boat there. Like, we don't, we don't know because, I, mean, I mean, as far as I know, he is fully healthy. I mean, the coaches love Court Williams. That's what I know. I mean, the way that they talk about Court Williams, the way that they talk about his work ethic – I mean, I've never heard them talk about another player. It's way. more than tough Borland. Like, yeah, it I really mean, is. I mean, like, they gush about him. I mean, Kerry Combs said he, he's the most diligent worker that he's ever been around. Ryan Day said, I think if you asked most players on the team, they'd tell you that he's the hardest worker on the team. And then, you know, I think it was J.P. Andrade was asked last week who had caught his eye for work ethic, and the first guy he named was Court Williams. So, uh, I think... He is doing all the right things himself in terms of trying to put himself in a position to play. 
but how much he's going to play remains a mystery. Because even, like, again, like that bullet position, to me, like, is it going to be Ronnie Hickman? Is it going to be Craig Young? Is it going to be some combination of two or three guys? I, I still feel like I just don't know on that one. Yeah, and also it seems like basically all of these snaps have gone to Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young. So right. it's, it's just funny to hear comments like that and be like, like, should I wait another week before we see Core Williams? I mean, what's going on here? I, I, I'm, I'm a little lost, and I know it's probably not what everyone wants to hear, but I don't think we're really alone on this. Like, I think a lot of people who are watching these practices are not 100% sure what's going on in the defensive backfield right now. Another Michigan loss asked about seeing a seven-second clip of JT doing a drill, assuming when I posted after uh, the first practice. It said, he moved faster than I could ever imagine DE move at his age. What are the early thoughts on where he is at physically compared to someone like Jack Sawyer, who was on campus in January? I think my answer would be, I think both of these guys, where they're at physically, is just not normal for a freshman. I mean, these are, these are two guys who do not look like they just got out of high school. These are guys who look like they've been in a college strength and conditioning program for years. And then just based on the way Ryan Day talked about JT on Monday, saying that he's way ahead of schedule and they're having a hard time blocking him, I think JT is doing what he needs to do to put himself in position to, to play a significant role early on. And so you know, in terms of how, what the gap the separation might be between how far along Jack is being there in January and where JT is now, that's hard for me to quantify. But I, I think both of these guys are on a trajectory where they're going to play early and often. If you want to go look at an 18-year-old's Instagram post, uh, go look at Jack Sawyer's, uh, <laughs> which is him and JT standing next to each other. And I actually think it gives you the answer, which is Jack Sawyer's a lot more built than him. Like, he is... He is a lot bigger, more muscular than JTT right now. Um, and I do think a lot of that, and, and I don't remember exactly who mentioned it. It might have been Enoch Vamahi on Tuesday, but like he said it was noticeable um, that Jack Sawyer just put on a lot of weight. And not necessarily weight, but a lot of muscle and changed his body a little bit. Jack uh, is ripped. This offseason. Yeah, that dude, like that dude's built different. That dude's built different in like that Chase Young kind of way where it's like, we talk about guys who are built different, but like this guy's built in a way that like nobody is. Like, like I don't. This is one of those where it's like you can't overstate it as much as you say. Like he's going to be awesome. Like I, I'm willing to bet every bang, every penny in my bank account that Jack Sawyer is going to be an unbelievable football player. I think that the JTT point is like I would like to wait a little bit more. I agree, he moves different, but I think not having that. Off se- the full offseason of the Mick Marotti experience, and I think maybe this point goes to a little Quinn Ewers if you want to bring it up. Um, I think him not having that full experience is probably the the biggest negative for him getting on the field, but that dude's going to play. I feel like we probably talked enough about Quinn Ewers yeah, last week, and I also think on next week's episode there's going to be plenty of Quinn Ewers talk, assuming that he arrives uh, as expected for practice later this week. Daniel asked, with the Delta variant lurking out there, have you guys heard anything other than full capacity this fall? I have not. So let's let's hope it stays that way. I mean, you know, I mean, I think as we've learned with COVID, like nothing's guaranteed. So like, is it possible that in the next month here, that, that if things go in the wrong direction, that Ohio State could could decide that they don't think full capacity is smart? It's possible. I, I haven't heard anything about that. I know they're continuing to proceed forward with ticket sales. Uh, they just released more information on Tuesday about uh, guidelines for fans this year, where they're going to have to wear masks, where they're not. And so I, I think, you know, they're, they're still moving full speed ahead toward full capacity. But we, we've learned that if we learn anything from last year, it's that things could change in a month. Things could change even once the season begins. It, uh, Gen and Juice asks, which was, I guess, our question of the week on the Eleven Warriors forum, is if you could add any two teams to the Big Ten, who would you choose? And, Dan, you posted that, so I know your answer, but roll with it. Yeah, so we, it's a thing we do. I was the weekend editor for Eleven Warriors this past weekend, and we do a this week's question that we put out there. So that was my question. I, I think Gin and Juice might be trolling me a little bit by asking the question, but it's a good question, so I'm happy to talk about it. My answers are... And again, this, these don't have to be realistic. These can just be whatever teams you want to add. Me personally, I like the fact that the Big Ten is a conference that makes regional sense. And so I would prefer to keep it that way. So for me, the number one team, the obvious team is Notre Dame. I mean, do I, do I think Notre Dame's actually going to join the Big Ten? I don't. 
But I do think that, you know, if you could go out and get any team, that's the team you go get because they're by far the best football team in the Midwest that's not already in the Big Ten. And, you know, I think they're, they're the team that, you know, if you're looking for a program you can bring in that fits with the Big Ten and is also going to raise that uh, national cachet of a conference, uh, Notre Dame to me is, is right at the top of the list. And then my other one would be Kentucky, which, you know, it's probably not as, as popular a pick as Notre Dame. But I, I say Kentucky because I, I do think they're a team that's gotten better in football. If you look at them, they already recruit the Midwest pretty well. I think if you put them into Big Ten, they would only increase in that regard. And you have one of the best basketball programs in the country. So while football is going to drive these decisions, a lot of people have brought up Kansas. If I'm picking between Kansas and Kentucky, I would absolutely take Kentucky because I think they're, I think they're much better in football than Kansas is. All right. The answer, the, I mean, the clear answer is like if you could add any, like you're sort of taking reality out of the equation, Correct. which means, yeah, I'm, I'm adding Notre Dame because it's the most sensible decision. I just, I don't know. I like regionality, so I like the Kentucky edition, uh, even if <laughs> it's never going to happen. Um, I guess I would maybe go with North Carolina. I thought you were going to say West Virginia. I was going to say West Virginia, <laughs> but then I realized that the Big Ten likes their like freaking academic requirements <laughs> to play football and basketball in a conference together. So like, the, I guess their, their, their average GPA might be a couple points too low. So uh, West Virginia is going to be out. Um, unfortunately, uh, maybe, Hey, Hey, ACC, let us in, let us in, please. <laughs> um, no, I think it would, I think my pick would probably be North Carolina. I mean, they have everything, um, to me that I think that, that you would want if you're the big 10, which I guess, you know, they have the academics, they have a, they have the arguably the best basketball program in the country. They have a, they, they clearly have a great, um, football program if you have the right coaches in place um and there's a lot of talent in the state and they're close enough that i think it makes sense i like that i think that's a solid solid choice nh buckeye asks how healthy is dallas gant as cody simon simply passed him on the depth chart or is dallas not 100 percent yet again to me this is one like you ask has cody simon simply passed him on the depth chart i don't know i don't know the answer to that like has cody simon passed him on the depth chart i mean like you said he was limited in practice on tuesday so I have no idea if Cody Simon has actually passed him on the depth chart. Like, I think it's certainly a possibility that Cody Simon, if he's healthy, could be the starting middle linebacker. But I really don't, at this point, I really don't know if he's passed him on the depth chart. I mean, as far as I know, Dallas Gant is healthy. He has been out there. But, I mean, personally, I still really don't know exactly what things are going to look like at middle linebacker. My feeling is they're probably going to rotate multiple players at that position. It also could absolutely depend on whether Pali Ianateote is cleared to play because if, if he is, I tend to believe he's going to have at least some role. But if not, then Simon and Gant, I would think, are probably the two most likely guys to see most of the snaps at that position. Yeah, and we can learn a little bit um, from interviews as well because yep. I'd be interested to know, just like, do Gant and Simon complement each other or are they the same guy and whichever guy is better is going to play. Like, that I actually don't know the answer to. I don't ever. And I think that that... You haven't really seen them play enough. Yeah, because, like, Tuff Borland and Baron Browning, when they were middle linebackers, it was like, well, I understand this one. (laughs) If they're going to pass, Baron Browning's in. If they're going to run, Tuff Borland's in. Like, that one was pretty simple. I'm not 100% sure on the Cody Simon-Dallas Gantt one. So, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that's that's one of the most up-in-the-air position battles. Now, saying that... As we sit here today, like I think I would project Cody Simon as a starter, but I do that with a very low confidence level. All right, Mock Jocks asked about seven questions, so I'm gonna try to. We're uh, gonna rapid fire. We're gonna roll roll through them. Uh, he, he asked about Travian Henderson. We already talked about Travian Henderson. Well, side note, I'll say one Travian Henderson quick take is the pads are going on now, and I think now we're gonna find out. Like I think very until true. now, it was a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what they had in Travian Henderson. They're about to learn. Asked, he also asked if G. Scott at tight end has the high ceiling seemed to be hoped for. And I, I think so. I think he has a high ceiling. I think the question is, is he going to be ready to contribute this year? Because I think, you know, I think in terms of receiving ability, you bring a guy with his uh, frame and his receiving ability and athleticism and you move him to tight end, I think the potential for him to be a weapon in the passing game as an inside receiver is absolutely there. To me, the whole question is, 
what can he do as a blocker? And I have no idea right now because we just haven't seen enough and he's never played that position. You say you have no idea. I have an idea. They did field goal block and G. Scott went to the wide receivers and every other tight end went to the field goal block. So you know what? I'm going to guess he's not a great blocker yet because he's not doing the blocking. He's doing the wide receiver drills when they do that. So that was actually, that was one thing I noticed and I did sort of put in the back of my mind that like, I think that that might be a little bit more of a work in progress than some people are saying, thinking. And I don't think that should be a surprise also because we're talking about a team that does not have a history of throwing to the tight end. So if you're talking about like a receiver only tight end, that might that guy might not play as much as you might imagine. Also asked who we feel has the best arm to translate to the next level at QB of the free and camp so far. And All right, three, two, one, Kyle, Kyle McCord. McCord. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's the answer. Now, again, it doesn't necessarily mean Kyle McCord is the better quarterback right now than CJ Stroud. Because I think I think for one, I think CJ Stroud has more athleticism, and I think two, CJ Stroud has a year in the system that Kyle McCord does not. So. I tend to believe that C.J. Stroud is probably the, the guy who's most ready to run this offense right now. But I think in terms of pure arm talent, I think Kyle McCord has the best arm of the guys on the roster right now. All right, so you went one, two. All that three, point number three is that C.J. Stroud's arm is really good. And yes. we're just, this is less of a comment on C.J. Stroud's arm and more of a comment on Kyle McCord's arm is really, really, really good when C.J. Stroud's arm is just really, really good. <laughs> so, but like, I think that that's an important point to make because we're not saying that Ohio State might go into the game, into week one with a quarterback that can't throw. It's just Kyle McCord's arm looks pretty special and C.J. Stroud's arm just looks special. <laughs> Also asked about talent comparisons with Sawyer and JT after seeing uh, the Bosa's and Chase Young up close. I mean, it, it, it's always hard. I mean, again, we're talking about guys we haven't really seen play yet and trying to compare them to the Bosa's and, and Chase Young. But we talked before, I mean, I think Jack Sawyer could absolutely be the next Chase Young at Ohio State. Like, I think he absolutely has that kind of potential that he could be that kind of player. Yeah, and I also, like, I don't, I wasn't here, obviously, for the younger, uh, for for early Joey Bosa, and I don't really remember a ton of freshman Nick Bosa. I certainly remember a lot of sophomore Nick Bosa. I'm trying to remember freshman Nick Bosa. But, like, those guys weren't, like, I, I remember Zach Harrison and Chase Young when they came. It was like, all right, people, human beings are not built like this. I think Jack Sawyer's like that. I think JTT is a little bit more like the Bosa's, where it's like, I can see it. They move different, but you don't look at them and say, like, he's built like a superhuman. Like, I think I say that about Jack Sawyer. Like, Jack Sawyer is not built like a normal player. Um, and, I, and, and I think that's sort of how I would separate them. But, yeah, like, I can see them on that level. And, and specifically, like, I think I see Jack Sawyer on that level. And I see – I just think it's too early to say that about JTT quite yet. But – the way he moves is different. Yeah, I mean, I think the question, if you're talking about comparisons, is the thing about the Bosa's is those guys are so incredible technically. Like, Joey Bosa, I mean, I remember him probably more as a freshman than you do. Like, Joey Bosa came in, and, like, his, his tech, his how advanced he was technically for a freshman was incredible. So, like, are these guys at that level yet? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, you know, that's the thing. Like, I think both these guys, like, pure physical traits – are more physically gifted than Mabosas. I think those guys are incredibly, incredible technically, and these guys will probably need some time to get to that level. But certainly, I think both of them have that potential uh, to be elite defensive ends. I'm not going out on the more, definitely more athletic than the Bosa uh, branch yet. I think that that's possible. I think that the Bosas are also, I mean, I think they're different, like, like Nick was incredibly powerful and very well built early on in his career, um, and gosh, like whenever I bring up Nick Bosa, I'm like, I cannot believe we didn't get a full junior season from him because that that would have been special. But this is that's what people, you know, we we got robbed of Nick Bosa and Chase Young having that full season together. Hopefully, people will get that in 2022, 2023, whatever with Jack Sawyer and JTT. Or All just right. JT, you, you wrote JT, but he he did he did clarify uh, to me and Clay Hall when we interviewed him on Sunday that it, it's just JT, not JTT. 
That might be a lost cause for him. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell him he might have he might have wanted to give one interview as a recruit and just say that. Next question from Mock Jocks is: In your opinion, do you see Jack? Do you do you think Zach Harrison could still pop into elite defensive end level, or do you project him to be more like a Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, Tyquan Lewis type? Which is hilarious because it's like, do you think he might be the Big Ten defensive <laughs> defensive lineman of the year? Because like that is the standard that Ohio State has set, where it's like either you're a superhuman or you're the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. Right. Like I saw somebody reply to this with a comment saying. If he's Sam Hubbard or Taekwon Lewis, that's a good outcome. And like that's that's correct. Like that's the thing. Like the expectations are so high that like, yeah, if he's a third round draft pick, like that means he's a really good player. So like if, if Oh, I actually I you know, timeout, I actually disagree because I think Zach Harrison can get drafted in the third round if he sat out this season and just went off last year, which I think some Ohio State fans are are pretty disappointed in last year. Like that, the athleticism. Oh, no, that I agree. Has, I mean, like, I, I wasn't saying I thought he was going to be Sam. I and I, my answer to the question is yes. I think he can still pop into elite defensive end level. I think he's going to be an elite defensive end this year. Yeah, I just think that like he could just do nothing and be a third round pick. Like we're talking about a guy with first round talent. And it's just a matter of if he gets to first round production. Like I do want, like you say, elite. Like, when you say elite when we're talking about Ohio State, like, I'm thinking Chase Young, Nick Bosa. I do not think Zach Harrison will be on that level this year. That would be a big jump. It would be a gigantic jump. And, like, I think it's conceivable because when I, you know, when earlier, like, one of the other questions that that you had was about about whether uh, JTT, sorry, JT and Jack Sawyer are on the uh, Chase Young Bosa level. Like, me personally, when Zach Harrison was a freshman, I was like, this guy is built like a Chase Young Bosa type. Like, I've I've always thought about him athletically as them. So, like, I view him as a first-round athletic talent. I just still don't know if we're going to see exactly, you know, that 12-sack, 10-sack season. Like, I, I think, I do think we're at least going to see, like, a Sam Hubbard type of year at a bare minimum, though. The final question from Mock Jocks. Lastly, how often do you see defensive sets of bullet on the field? Do you expect the staff to commit to it this season? I mean, I feel like we've talked about this so much. And yeah, we, we better be right. We haven't really learned anything more about it, so I don't want to get a long answer. My answer is I, I, I do think the staff is committed to it. I do think it's going to be a significant part of its defense. I think the bullet will be on the field more often than not, and as Colin makes a mess over here. But uh, I, I do think, you know, the bullet – it, you know, I don't really know a number on it. I'll probably say like 70% of the time I think the bullet is going to be on the field. I think there will be times where uh, there's a more traditional linebacker on the field. I also think there'll probably be times where there's a more traditional extra defensive back on the field. But I, I do think the bullet is going to be a substantial part of his defense. And I think there could be multiple different bullets that they could potentially use to kind of mix and match with different matchups because of the fact that I think Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young and Court Williams all have different skill sets. Yeah, I think it's going to be a full-time part of the defense. And I think everybody in Columbus, like Mike DeWine, no, not even Columbus, Mike DeWine should sign a bill banning the word bullet if it is not used this year. (laughs) Like, we need to quit this if we fall for the second time and we are wrong. Like, that said, I'm pretty confident they're going to play it. So I, Mike DeWine, you might be saved. Final question from him first football later, I think. Said an update on Julian Fleming, assuming he's full going, fully healthy. Any insight on how his play and how he's been looking? I mean, I, I'm kind of with you, like what you said earlier. Like, I haven't been watching the wide receivers that closely. I mean, I have noticed that he's been getting a lot of reps out there. So I think he is fully healthy. I, I, I don't... I can't say I've seen anything in fall camp that makes me more or less confident that he is going to play a big role this year. Like I haven't, I, I haven't seen him stand out. I would say that, but that also doesn't mean that I've seen anything that you know makes he thinks he's doing poorly. I just haven't seen him stand out. He hasn't done anything yet that's like jumped out at me and caught my eye. And to be fair, there's been like only one receiver that's done that, and it's Jetson Smith and Jake. Right. Um, like we just had, there haven't they haven't been put in a lot of opportunities that would have us standing on the sidelines and watching the wide receivers and being like, wow. Like a lot of times when we're doing that too, like 
our eyes are focused on the quarterbacks. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't have a ton of insight on on his play now. Now I I do think. He might not see the field a ton this year when he's going to be rotating essentially with Chris Olave. Uh, that would not be my ideal situation of getting onto the field a lot, uh, but I don't have any further insight because that's not new insight. We've known that for a while. All right, Colin, we're getting to the end of this episode, and I feel like we've buried the lead here, but we do have some news, and I'll, I'll let you tell that news however you want to tell it. Yeah, no, this is a... Uh... This is my last episode, Dan. Dan, I was I, I thought about just like not saying anything, and that was my suggestion to Dan. But Dan's like, I feel like we should probably say that. To which I say, all right. I mean, a lot of you have been Fair listening point. to this podcast for the past couple of years, and I think you'd like <laughs> to hear it from a man himself yeah. that this is going to be his final episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, as you are going to be uh, moving on from Eleven Warriors and. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving into a, a new career. Yeah, we'll be moving out to Los Angeles. So you will not be the biggest celebrity where you live. Oh, no, I don't want to get that far. I, I mean, maybe there's a chance. Like maybe, maybe there's a big Real Pod Wednesdays fan base <laughs> that we have in Los Angeles. Out in Los Angeles. And I walk into that city and I'm just signing autographs left and right. Like there is a chance that that happens, Dan. I would not rule that out. But on the off chance that that is not the case. Yeah, I'll just be a nobody in Los Angeles. That's fair. All right, so I'll, I'll have one last question for you. So you, you've been here at Eleven Warriors for about three years. You were on the Ohio State beat before that with the Lantern. When you think back on your time as an Ohio State beat writer, like are there any memories that stand out in your mind, like any moments that you feel like you're going particularly, to particularly remember from this chapter of your life? Treat me like a player now. Look at this, Dan. I'm just. I, I, yeah, I feel it's time like for you to get interviewed. Man. I feel like Thayer Munford sitting on a chair, just with Dan Hope firing questions at me. Um, like I, I, Carl, I don't. All the times you've put me on the spot on this show, it's only fair that I did yeah, to you on your last episode. I don't think I can say that. I here's my answer is like I want to be like. Oh, I don't think that there's any single moment that I can think of. But definitely the time that I slept till 11 a.m. when Urban <laughs> Meyer retired. <laughs> that one, that one, that one's gonna haunt me for a while. Uh, yeah, in 2018, I slept till 11 a.m. and Urban Meyer retired at like 8:30 a.m. That was that that one. I I'm gonna that one. I'm gonna. Um, I've, I've tried to forget that one, but for some reason, it's just hard to forget. Yeah, I, I overslept and almost missed. Uh, the first practice last week, so it, it happens. It happens to the <laughs> just best a little of us. different, yeah, a little different. Just one practice versus the retirement of one of the all-time great coaches in the last state history. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, it is very. It, it, it is a. It is a wild thing to say that my job is to go watch football and talk about it and write about it. And you know, in my my next move, I'll still be involved in football. It just won't be from the same perspective. And I think that, you know, getting the chance to go to the Rose Bowl, to go to the NCAA tournament, to go to the national championship game, to go to the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl. I mean, or did we get, I don't even, I don't think I went, did I go to the Sugar Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. What am I saying? Like, here's the thing. When you forget you go to the Sugar Bowl, that's been a good five years. You know what I mean? What are you going to miss most about working with me? <laughs> um... Getting a DM at 1.30 a.m. asking if I can read your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've both been there. Yes, we have. Yeah. No, I, uh, no it's, it's, it's going to be – I've, I've told this to numerous people. It's going to be weird turning off push notifications for you and being like, oh, yeah, I don't have to – I don't have to – He just doesn't want to see what I'm tweeting anymore. <laughs> I know. It's going to happen, Dan. I, 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 I won't unfollow you. Uh, I won't even block <laughs> that you. That would be really harsh. Yeah, that would be harsh. But uh, – no, I, I think that it is it's it's weird to it's a it's a different relationship to be on a beat with somebody because you just travel and are with them not twenty four seven but like a lot in a way that in a lot of other jobs you just it's just not the case. Um, so we've done that. We've had different recruiting writers in. Uh, I did it back on the lantern, but we've done it more than I've done it with anybody else. Um, so. Moving away from that, that's going to be weird. Like, straight up, it is going to be very, very weird. Well, Colin, I'm going to miss working a few. I've enjoyed hosting this podcast. You're the only, you're the only co-host of Real Pod Wednesdays I've ever had. But the good news is, for you listening here, this podcast is going to continue. 
we are going to have a new co-host uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, until then, uh, the show will continue with uh, fill-in guest hosts to be determined. So uh, Real Pod Wednesdays isn't going anywhere. I, I know I know you guys probably love Colin more than me, so hopefully you guys will still want to listen to me and our new guest host that will come in in a couple weeks. Damn, they will. I, I think is going to be great, but certainly want to thank you, Colin, uh, for your, all your contributions. You've been uh, great to work with, great to host this podcast with, and we wish you all the success in your next endeavor. I know. I like we're, we're saying our goodbyes right now as if it's not Tuesday and we still have like four days to work together. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, well, you, you're making it sound like you're never going to talk to me after this week. <laughs> well, so. I, I, I told you I'm not going to block you. So, like, at least you can. I mean, maybe an unfollow. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't unfollowed anyone that I've ever worked with, though. So, yeah, like, I feel like I, I feel like I'm good on that. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully I'm not the one who <laughs> drove you so nuts that you'll... Not as far as I know. There's four days left. We can't say that yet. We got to knock on some wood right now. I just now. can't believe you're you're leaving before you get to see Demario McCall and, and Quinn Ewers play. Demario McCall's a cornerback and Quinn Ewers play quarterback for Ohio State. I will say, like this is a weird time you're leaving too, because like I'm gonna be leaving right when the biggest news happens. Like I assume when you record this next week, there's a decent chance that Ryan Day has said the starting quarterback, um, and Quinn Ewers will probably be on campus. And I'll just be floating away, just figuring out how in the world I'm going to drive 2,300 miles. Well, Colin, I really appreciate you giving us a tease for next week's episode, giving <laughs> people a reason to yes. tune in. Because usually I do that, so uh, you just did it right there. Here's my hot take. I think you're going to win the national championship. All right, I'm out. That is a great way to go out, Colin. I was going to ask you if you had any, any last words, but I think that is the perfect way to do it right there. So we will see if Colin is right in January. Oh, wait, wait, no, there's, there's a point that needs to be made right here. I started covering the team in a, I didn't like start covering the team, but like, it's like I started getting into journalism in 2015 and now I'm leaving just for the 2021 season happens. I'm just saying what happened in early 2015 and what's going to happen in early 2022. I mean, if I'm the Same jinx, it's better for Ohio yeah. State if you're not on the beat. Yeah, if you liked me on the podcast, like I, I very much appreciated all of your listens, and I can't believe that I get to write and talk to an audience this large. But this might help you win a national championship for Ohio State, so there is that. So, Probably not the best time to tell them that I graduated from Ohio State right before the national championship in, in 2014. Well, I'm just trying to give them some help, Dan. <laughs> well, that 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 that's a that's a good way to go out, Colin. So. He will not be back next week, but I will be with a guest host uh, to be announced, to be determined. So uh, please continue listening in next week. Thank you so much for listening in, and I'll talk to you soon.